Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets lose in gut-wrenching fashion at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks on the road. We break down the late-game sequences and the absolutely epic, albeit wasted, performance from Mikhail Bridges coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets. Every single day over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht, and it was, Doug, a 147-145 overtime loss, which obviously makes it easier to come in and talk post-game takeaways and a great performance from McHale, a battle with Trey Young that has Brooklyn coming out on the losing side of things. Oh, man, Thanksgiving Eve here, uh, <laughs> post-game, talking about one that I really thought they were going to be able to pull out, really wanted them to pull out. Obviously, McHale's best game of the season by far. Joked before the game that uh, Atlanta had allowed 157 the night before that the Nets needed to get up there to feel like they were winners. Almost got there. Never <laughs> never thought that we'd actually see them close to that number. Uh, but, you know, to end up losing like this. 157 would have done it. Correct, correct. 157 <laughs> would have would have won the game for him, but ultimately, like this, uh, this is a these are the hard ones, right? Like these are two pretty evenly matched teams. I would say they came in with a, basically the same record. Uh, Atlanta slightly better point differential. It was a battle essentially of the two best player, the best player on each team when it comes down to it. And the, I, this is one of those games. I think you look at it, and either team would have been disappointed had to have lost this game. <laughs> right like that's yeah. how you know it's a it's a pretty even match but when you get this kind of game from McHale that we've been sort of waiting for basically since the end of last season to get a real ceiling game for him from him and to lose the game is a little bit of an extra gut punch for Nets fans I think just because you got the one that you needed from him and it's still an L and I and that's just that's just tough like when those when those things happen it's just tough yeah, 45-point performance from Mikhail. you mentioned there. Down the stretch of the fourth quarter and into overtime for this one, he just takes over, right? It's yeah. the kind of thing that we saw a lot last season and haven't seen so far this year. Give me the ball. I'm going to be the guy that makes the decision. Saw some sequences where he still tried to set up teammates, et cetera, but he was getting the corner, getting downhill, getting at the basket. There's the overtime one that he just overcooks slightly, also gets blocked in overtime there as well. But I... Boy, I tell you, we said this in the preview of, of this game with Atlanta coming off the, on a back-to-back, -back, Brooklyn with plenty of rest, and now we didn't even think about it. Now let's also put this type of Mikhail Bridges performance on it. it. It is a layer upon a layer upon a layer of, well, now that's disappointing, to not get the W in a game like this where I, I thought Mikhail did put together one of his best performances, obviously the season, even beyond the scoring, like the, the production was there from a shooting perspective, also there in terms of attacking at the basket, getting to the free throw line, got there 12 times in this game, including overtime, obviously, but just the, the, the full package. And you want these kind of performances to get rewarded. You say this about any of your best players when they put together one of their best games, you expect the team to win those. 
Yeah, and this was like for him was like a little bit back to I don't want to say vintage because he hasn't been doing it long enough to back get, to vintage twenty seven game Mikhail Bridges from a year ago. Honestly, and just the kind of way he was scoring, I mean, he was destroying the mid range. Like yeah. this is what this is something that we saw him sort of peak with last year, where the mid range really got lit up in a way where we're like, oh, okay, this is really something. This is because when, when you can score effectively the mid range, like, and you're a three level scorer, you are a really really dangerous kind of guy. And if you look at even just like the shot chart from tonight was overwhelmingly mid range. I think, yeah, he only took six total three pointers, made two of them in. And actually from the, from these, you know, sort of foul line nail and, and areas, he was really, really efficient. And I love that he was getting to the basket. They just didn't really go in uh, like, yeah, and, yeah. and it's, I'm not trying to nitpick his game. Cause he had such a good game that it's, uh, you can't come out of this one and like in any way, say it was Mikhail Bridges fault, right? 16 or 31, 11 for 12, 45 points. He's just the reason they were in, he's the reason they were in the game. Uh, so yeah, I'm not saying that, but it's just, it's just funny to see the shot chart breakdown. Cause you're like, Oh, this was so close to like being an epic performance. And those, 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 a, a few, and I think he got fouled on a few of these too. And yeah. he's like not in the, he's just not getting some of these fouls. I think, I think that's actually just pretty clear that he's not getting fouls, foul called in the way that like some other guys do. But in, in the end, seeing this game from him, I think we can grab onto the fact that like, okay, it's still in his bag for sure to get mm-hmm. to have these games. That's a great sign. And when it kind of happens for the first time in the season, you hope that it's like the whole podcast is Mikhail is awesome and it's a win and they're back to five, you know, they're at 500 and that's the brutal gut punch when it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. You can back out. I think at 11 points there in overtime. So even if you back that away, right. Cause you always want to remind you get this extra five minutes and it was primarily, again, it was Trey young versus Mikhail bridges in the overtime session as well. Even if you back that out, still highly productive in this game. And listen, I had said this, this is highly skewed in the, in the everything, but perimeter shooting for Mikhail. But I think this is where his bread and butter is. And, and inside of this team, Everybody else has to reward them for this construct, whereas he gets into the paint as he starts to make the defense pay more attention to him. The outside shots to look a little bit easier for everybody else. The only thing that stopped him on a 16 to 31 from the field performance was 31 shots from Trey Young. 12 of those went in from the field, but eight of 16 from beyond the arc. Uh, Trey Young decided, listen, let me go ahead and wait to really start cooking from the outside. He actually did it last night as well, five of eight. But for a guy that shot 31% on the season from beyond the arc, that was happening early in this game, and it happened late as well, where this is really what it came down to. You say the two best players, listen, it was 43 points for Trey Young in this one. You got you got out in a couple of those critical moments, and, and frankly, we'll get to this here in a second, the, the defense on either side against the best player on either team Atlanta came through in a couple of these key spots where Atlanta or excuse me, Brooklyn came up short, but in in the end, man, a great performance. And hopefully, as you mentioned there, this is a sign that Mikhail can maybe start to to get some of this mentality back into him, right? It is me first. When Cam Thomas comes back, that'll help this dynamic, but nobody else I, 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 you wouldn't look at and say could take over the fourth quarter and overtime and try to get you to the point of being able to win this game. The way Mikhail did with consistency guys can score a lot, but not the way that he can. So, I, I know, I know we're sitting here talking about an overtime loss and, and saying Mikhail is amazing, but you have to give him credit for putting together his performance. He needed it. Well, again, these are like the hard ones to like, you know, you, you know, I talked briefly off the air about like sort of how to lead in. These are hard ones to talk about because it's like on the one hand, it's a gut punch loss and you, and these are gut punch losses. I, like I, I'm actually, and I, I kind of judge the loss by how like the histrionics I put into a game. I really don't cheer very much. I'm not yeah. a yeller. I'm not a hand clapper. Like when I watch the games, it's pretty 
I'm pretty just kind of just sit there and watch. But I can tell I really want it when like I like when Cam Johnson gets the tip and we'll talk about some of these other plays. Yeah. Like when he gets a tip in, I was like, let's you, go. You get, a, you get something from me. You get yeah. something from me. And then when and when you know that happens, well, I, I I can imagine that like there's a lot of you out there, you know, listening that feel that probably were up off the couch, were you know standing screaming at the, some of the, the television for this, some of this stuff. And when that happens, like it's really hard to lose the game. So. It's it, it, we're threading the needle here about how to talk about it, but it's just like you got to start. Like, Bridges was just that good, so I think that's just where it has to start. And now, coming up here in a second, Doug, we'll turn our attention to some of the key things that led to this loss, including something that the Nets have been railing against, going uh, bucking the trend when it came to rebounding. Boy, did those second chance opportunities really hurt Brooklyn throughout this game, and especially in this overtime as well. We'll talk about that coming up. All right, so as we continue live on YouTube with our post-game coverage, the 147-145 loss for the Brooklyn Nets on the road at Atlanta. You mentioned it there, too, just briefly. They're 6-7. They're and seven. This means getting back to 7-7. Seven and seven. They're kind of in this losing more than they're winning over the last handful of games. Maybe it's because it's the holiday tomorrow that you just like, you want to feel like, and then into a fun, into, into a fun weekend until they get back on the court on Saturday night. Um, you mentioned that that key sequence with Cam Cameron Johnson gets the tip in off the miss in that overtime with about, I think it, you said this about 16 seconds left. The block on McHale was pretty brutal. And I said it there going the other way, you know, it, it, it's weird, man. The, the, the trip, which was a trip that Atlanta has Johnson against McHale, it almost kind of helps. Cause now you're at the free throw line, taking two shots instead of maybe getting a look at, at a perimeter outside shot. Then when Trey comes down the floor, he crosses up and gets himself free, and it's kind of this push foul because you know you need to foul him with only 3.9 seconds, but he does heave it up, and it's just kind of an awkward shot. You could have just grabbed that rebound and called the timeout and gone the other way. Like there are those little moments, though there's a dozen of these throughout the game, if not more. When you're in that overtime, you're, you're playing beat to beat, and you could see the ones going the wrong way for Brooklyn and the right way for Atlanta. Yeah, there was just this, these were coin flip moments, right? There was like the McHale. I mean, we could probably go through a ton of these. There's so many of them, but they were all, you know, and there were literally shots that like were on the rim and out and were on the rim and in, right? And there was just, there was, there was for McHale specifically, he had two of these. He had the one that used to have rimmed out. He had the one that sat on the rim for it felt like an eternity and went down, right? Yeah, there was yeah. all these different ones. I, I'm going to lodge, go ahead, but I'm going to lodge a, a, a Trey Young complaint here in a second. And then um, I have a couple other things I want to mention, but what were you going to say? Oh, no, sure. No, no, no. Go go with the complaint here first. Cause I got, cause I got that waiting my back hip here too, because Trey Young, I'll, I'll, I'll set you up here. Trey Young with the non-basketball plays inside of basketball. It, it's one of the more frustrating things. It's not because you lost to him. Even when we used to say we used to watch James Harden for the Brooklyn Nets. When, when there are guys that are going for the fouls rather than getting fouled in the act of shooting, it is infuriating. And he had a handful of these, including in the overtime, which he got against, I think, Dorian Finney-Smith, basically got into the paint and then just backed himself up into it to get to the line for two free throws. I'm assuming that that's where we're going. I mean, it's every time. It's literally every time. If he's not shooting a three, he's trying to get fouled. I, I, I get it. It's part of the rules. I guess it's smart. I, I thought there was a rule that was made to like sort of start curbing it. I they It doesn't seem like it's always enforced. And I get that it's kind of hard to call. I, I guess I'm not going to probably sit here and just like complain about it because I think that's probably pretty weak. I will say, it's though. It's really not that hard to call, though. Like, I'll, I know this is weak, but like it's not that hard to call because it's the most obvious thing when you see it in real time. Like any no basketball player gains gains the paint, has a clear lane and stops himself short and dribbles backwards. Like it, it, it's not it's a non it's not a bad thing. Like it's not you. You said this before. Sorry. I don't know why. Now you got me gassed up. This is when you play pickup. 
and you do a move like this, they're like, no foul guy, like get up. Like what, what, what are we talking about? This isn't the way you play. So, yeah, but it's not even so much those two. Like I even thought on the Dinwiddie one that where he would end up going to the fa- the free throw line that he mm-hmm. ended up missing it near the end of the game. That was another one where he was, had no intention of shooting. Like he was, he put, he, he saw Now look, I think Trey's really smart at this and mm-hmm. kudos to him for like sort of gaming the system. And I'm all, I'm an angle shooter too. And other things, not basketball, but like, so I'm all for playing the edges and figuring out where someone else is screwed up. I, he's like sort of a master at it. It's just like not my brand of basketball and I don't like watching it. And so and it's just once you see it, and this is tonight was not the first time I've seen it, right? But it's, it's it hits a little closer to home when it happens against your team. Yeah. That when it's like so clear, you only need to watch him for like short periods of time to see. Like when he was t- trying to turn the quarter on Dimity, he's like, "Got it, getting fouled." Yeah. Like when he got into the lane against the FA, he's like, "Got it, getting fouled." That's just it's his style. Like I, I I just personally think it stinks, but I it's you can't like argue against it because I guess it's like within the the realm of the rules. No, well, it's also, and I'll, I'll throw in the other one because you said there are other different versions of it. He had a, he was running the baseline under the basket when Nicholas Claxton was on him, and I mean, he jumped, he jumped a foot to bounce into Nicholas Claxton's, you know, body, and they, and, and it is like by the rules, it's a foul, but it's like just this intention, it's this intentional thing where that's what you're looking for. And to your point, you're a really good free throw shooter, so you get yourself to the line and you get some easy buckets. Let's not <laughs> belabor that because I now I could I feel like I could start spiraling here. The other big thing that I want to mention here inside of this game, which seems nuts, given that the offensive rebounding was even in this game at 22 apiece and the overall rebounds was 59-58 in favor of Brooklyn. Boy, we you say this all the time. Listen, the box score will tell you one story, but your eyes will tell you another. The second chance opportunities, right? These rebounds where it's there were times when it was two Brooklyn Nets that could not seem to decide who was going to grab the ball first leading to second and third possessions for Atlanta. I thought that's throughout the game, by the way, that really hurt Brooklyn and was kind of, when you're playing a team that should be exhausted on a back-to-back, it was like, okay, but here's an extra two, three, four opportunities. You're you're just going to win on those margins. Yeah, and this is sometimes, you know, the Nets went small for some stretches during this game, so you're going to give it up on the boards. I think that, like, they were trying to play with a little bit more pace, knowing they probably need they knowing they need to come back, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the Claxton had some foul trouble. This was not a game for Sharp because they can just, like, Trey can just attack. Like, the problem, like, the reason that it was hard for them to play with a lot of size in this game, leading to some of these plays that you're mentioning, is because... Trey can att- attack a drop. Like we just ex- we just explained to you exactly. We complained about it, but we just explained to you why it's hard <laughs> to play this style against Trey. Like you play a drop against him, he's going to do this all game. He's going to attack it every single time, and he's probably going to get fouled or he's going to hit a floater. He's really really good at those too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go with a little less size, and then it's going to be a little harder to win these 50-50 balls. They're going to have trouble stopping guys at the rim, which they did. Um, and I know that drives fans nuts, also, but I think they were sort of left with very few options here in terms of like what was killing them because when they because look what you know when they weren't aggressively switching in the first half or in the first quarter specifically i mean they were still doing it but they weren't like fighting up super high trey was murdering them with deep threes yeah. and like so you just get you do get sort of stuck in between so i i, I can understand the complaint but when you're wa- this is another one when you're watching too is like these sometimes these 50 50 balls will totally drive you nuts as a fan because it feels like your team is not winning them at like the requisite amount. And that probably is true with the Nets, but there was plenty of other, there was plenty of other sort of like ball bouncing scenarios that went in the Nets direction, like over the course of the game. I I think like if I'm trying to be like objective about it, but this was all the other thing too, is when you have a game 
that were, had, you know, 292 points scored in it. <laughs> like, there's just going to be a lot of stuff happening on the court. <laughs> like, yeah. like, there's just no way to, there's just no way to pile on this many points without just lots of things happening. I actually, does that make sense? I have another question I wanted to ask you about sort of the strategic um, thing, but um, does that make sense? I think, because I think the core complaint's going to be, oh, there was no size, you know, we're getting killed in the glass again. They were, they, they did get a little stuck in between this, not having Dennis Smith Jr. really hurt like the ability to yeah. like guard, in a way that was not going to have them be able to go small all the time. I, if, if Claxton wasn't on the court. Yeah. Well, by the way, just a lot of, a lot of things to look at when you combine for 229 shots in a game, there's going to be a lot of things to take a look at. No, that's the fundamental one. Cause then uh, we'll, we'll take a break and come back in on just a couple of footnotes that you probably don't normally see inside of a box score as well for the Brooklyn Nets early in this season. But what's your, what's your uh, schematic question? Do you at near the end of the game, um, with the McHale miss, they did not take a timeout. Like, it, you know, um, on the, like, do you know which play I'm talking about? Like it was when, when he took it to the rim and got blocked by a Kongu. Oh, yeah. it was like with, with 16 seconds left, Jacques Vaughn didn't take a timeout. I was curious if you thought that was good, like let him sort of play through it or, um, and, or like, you think that it's like a time to slow it down. I think this like micromanaging, but I think I sometimes wonder about these kind of things. Cause I saw some disagreement about this. Um, just among fans, and I'm just curious, like where you land with not calling a timeout um, to for like that last shot that ultimately did not go in for Bridges. Yeah, it's interesting too because when you when you look at it, like the the Lonnie Walker and overtime uh, as time was expiring there at regulation, right? Like that's a set play that the Nets were able to 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 create an opening for him. He doesn't get it off in time. Mikhail Bridges, they created these plays. So if I'm thinking back to out of timeout plays throughout the course of this game, they were able to scheme some opportunities and open looks. So I, in this instance, I probably say I'm like, I'm okay with the way they played it out. Now it ends up being results oriented, right? Like ball goes in, then it all, it all makes sense. Ball doesn't go in and you question whether or not it's the, it's the right function. I, I think I'm okay with it, but I, I'm sure that fans had plenty of problems with that and pretty, yeah. not enough size, et cetera. Right. I kind of like the idea sometimes to just like let him play. Like, I think they ended up getting the shot that they wanted. I feel like we saw the other ATOs. Like I think that the shot is actually interesting because I think either way, you're probably fine either way because the final shot out of regulation that Mikhail got was a really clean look. I, yeah. Like that was, he came anything, off that. It was a circle and double over line, right? Like you got it. You got it. It was like a double curl around Cam uh, Johnson, which I think was meant to be. I think that was a smart way to draw that up because if Cam is the screener, then if they don't if they if, if they if they basically both follow bridges then he can pop for the shot too like right. as opposed to say like claxton being the screener in, in a situation like that or, or someone else i mean even like royce or dorian finney smith like having cameron johnson be the screener on that sort of curl action means that like if they screw up which they kind of did because they couldn't they didn't get over the the, the second curl around in time mikhail got a really clean look obviously at the end of regular at the end of overtime i think that i actually think that O'Neal screwed that up a little bit because I think he was he probably should have delivered the ball to McHale. He mm -hmm. didn't. He ends up going to the secondary option to Lonnie. Obviously, Lonnie takes the extra dribble, doesn't get the shot off. So that kind of like broke down. But in general, like it's hard for me to it's hard for me to um nitpick any of the like final sequences in terms of the X's and O stuff. I thought that was all pretty good. I just think this ends up being one of those games like if it goes down, we're all we're elated, right? If any, if either of those shots go down, we're absolutely elated, and they don't, and they, and they lose, and like, and it's just like that's like the very definition of an of an even game.
And you're not thinking about, was it right or wrong? If they make the shot, of course it was the right play, right? You're not going to fundamentally go back and say, I wonder if they should have done it differently. If the ball goes through, you don't question any of the process that leads up to it. Coming up here in a second, though, I want to highlight some stats through these first four quarters. Didn't even mention the fact that the Brooklyn Nets did give up 77 points in the first half to the Atlanta Hawks. And also take a look inside the bench unit, something that's been such a strength for Brooklyn that actually came up on the losing end tonight. We'll get into that in just one moment. Okay, so as we tie a bow on the 147-145 loss for the Brooklyn Nets on the road here, first thing that's notable, I said that the the Nets gave up 77 points in the first half um, to Atlanta, but it's crazy to think that after losing the first quarter, Doug, 45 to 33, they won the second quarter, they won the third quarter, and they won the fourth quarter. They lost overtime by two points, essentially foul shots, right? But to to win three quarters of a basketball game means you had to have been so poor in quarter number one to put yourself in a hole. I mean, you go back and look at this first half. We talk about Trey Young. We talk about Mikhail Bridges. Listen, Young came out firing. He didn't have, I don't think he had any, if not one bucket in the second quarter. So this actually became for a big stretch here about some of the other guys. When you go inside the box score and you think, well, Cameron Johnson, eight of 13, five of eight from deep, 23 points. Dinwiddie has a bad shooting night, nine of 23, but also knocked down three of eight from deep, 26 points, 22 for Nicholas Claxton on a double, double. Like you see those things inside the box score. And those are guys that were doing a lot of the lift, helping to do a lot of lifting in the first quarter. But on the flip side of it, whether it was, and it's so funny to look at Jalen Johnson and see that you're, you're sitting here going seven points, but there was just a stretch where he was the only guy getting the ball offensively for Atlanta. They didn't miss a lot of possessional beats. If it wasn't Trey young, somebody else knocked down that shot. The Nets just had lulls. And I, I don't know how you fundamentally can give up 45 points in a first quarter and not feel like you just have to feel like back to back team. We want to come in. We know we can score against this team. Okay. If you're going to be down by 12 after one quarter and give up 77 first half points, I'm impressed the Nets were even able to reset themselves in the third quarter to get themselves back into this. The the, the Hawks' first half shooting splits were like 60, 50, 100. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only unsure about the 60. I'll go back and look. I, I'm positive about the 50% from three and 100, uh, and 100% from the line, like 11 for 11. Like They just simply could not have shot it better in the first half. It was like yeah. literally impossible. You just can't do it. Um, so to even come out, that was actually why like partway through the game, I actually liked live betting the Nets because I was like, well, they just can't keep this up. Like this can't between fatigue on the back to back. I mean, this was almost very, so close to be, I mean, it was, it was live line plus six and a half. So like that one got there. Um, uh, but like the money line too, like a plus 300, like it was like the Hawks just simply can't keep this up. They're on the back to back after a breakneck pace for the game, that, the night the game, the night before. And then this unbelievable hotter than the sun shooting. Yeah. Like, how are you going to like, I, I, I'm always a firm believer that you will regress. Now, sometimes it won't come all the way in the, in the same game, <laughs> right? Like you won't, right. you won't get there all the way in the game, but, um, but they almost did. Right. Because we saw that cool off effect, which is a good reminder sometimes too, of not to just bounce. I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. I'm just like not bouncing out of the game early because of one bad quarter, because mm-hmm. The quarters sometimes don't matter the order that you play them in, right? And so, like, and and you know, you highlighted it really well right there. It's like they won the next three. Okay, so if you just move the quarters around and got the same result, I don't know. You maybe feel differently about the game. It's just a good reminder that, like, it's in the current NBA, this stuff happens too fast. You can claw your way back into a game down fifteen early. Like, it's totally possible if you can shoot the threes. 
But yeah, like this, this game definitely was a concentrated effort between just like some of the top guys on each team, which is amazing because it was all the points that were scored. Um, and I, and some of the role players I thought were going to be, a, a, you know, a big factor really weren't, but I mean, sometimes it's just how the game shakes out. And this was, so that was the other thing here. Bench points, 38 for the uh, Atlanta Hawks, just 23 for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, Lonnie Walker was still productive, only played 16 minutes. Still did everything that he's been doing for them, but just eight points, three of seven from the field, two of four from beyond the arc. But this is the one where I'll point out a couple of guys here. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to lump Dorian Finney-Smith into this bench unit just because he scored eight points. Again, not a bad night, three of seven, two of five from deep, but him and Royce O'Neal now, there's just kind of this trend here where the, the things that you are putting on their plate, I, I think you can't expect them to do it all the time. But now that they're regressing back into their normal roles, now that Royce is kind of getting there, it, it does feel a little bit like we're seeing these guys at 30 plus years old start to show some of their age, I, I want to say, in some capacity. And it exposes a little bit when you don't have Cam Thomas, when you don't have even uh, Dennis Smith Jr. for defensive purposes, the weight, it just builds. It builds on other guys. And even saying that, well, Lonnie Walker should have played, you know, should have played more and should have had more shots. Listen, he's also a guy that has been doing significantly more than we expected coming into the season. So between that and then also Cam John Cameron Johnson, we didn't mention going out with the injury and not coming back in in the overtime, that that all of these things come together here and you go son of a gun. Like one of those things breaks better for Brooklyn and they probably get out of here with this win. Yeah. Like I thought Royce had a really rough game here. Um, both ends of the floor. What's that? Both ends of the floor. This is a bad, this is a bad matchup for, for Royce on, on switching things and picking up a tray or picking up a Murray. Like there's not a lot of places for him to hide defensively. Yeah, he was brutal. Both ends. Um, it was pretty rough. I, I thought Watford was interesting because like, you know, just talking, and we're going to close this out here in a second, but like, if you know, thinking about these bench guys, like I thought Watford was interesting because like the things he does, he's so aggressive that sometimes it looks amazing. And then he's so aggressive that sometimes it looks horrible. <laughs> and that was, this game was, I, I thought highlighted by that. Yeah. My, my, that'll be my closing thought actually, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a Trendon Watford fan. He played 15 minutes. He was three of eight, had seven rebounds, the rebounds you talk about, but you mentioned the aggressive play, which I love and seven points, right? you love it. And he is a young player, and I think that you're you're kind of hitting the sweet spot with his minutes, at least right now, because it is a mixed bag at times, as it is with a lot of young guys, right? Sometimes the aggression pays off. Other times it can, it can look a little awkward, maybe a foul or maybe a loose giveaway, those types of things. So I think we got the right amount of him, but you you can see how he has a role to play, but I wouldn't start expecting, hey, let's replace Royce O'Neal minutes or Dorian Finney-Smith minutes with a player like Watford because he's not quite refined enough yet, I think, to be consistent. All right. Uh, much appreciate everyone that jumped in here to YouTube live. We are going to continue the show as we always do on YouTube live. If you have questions, make sure you throw them in there at locked on nets. If you're on the podcast feed, we're going to close it out here. We'll post this. We'll post that other stuff, uh, you know, a day later with some of the stuff that happens on YouTube live, but it's a good reminder to make sure you're subscribed to YouTube live so that you can just be part of it right when it happens. Um, uh, just go to locked on at locked on nets over on YouTube. Join the almost 7,000 subscribers that we have over hey. there. And if you're on YouTube, just go subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast too. There's no reason not to do both help us. Both are free for you to do. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast and subscribe over on YouTube. No quote. Have a great uh, Thanksgiving, everybody. You could have no Thanksgiving quote. All right. We'll be back again. To, uh, <laughs> we'll be back again Friday. That's right. And in a moment on YouTube live, talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.